I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This is Fan of Astronomy, Episode 7. Welcome everybody to another episode of your favorite astronomy show, or I don't know, top three, maybe? Uh, my name is Angelo, I am the host of the Fan of Astronomy, and I am joined by my co-host of Fan of Astronomy. I just said that like three times in like four seconds. Anyway, his name is Mr. Don Horning. So is, is this Fan of Astronomy? I'm not just quite sure. Um, I don't know. What are we recording then? It is Fan of Astronomy, and it's oh, okay. about Mars. Mars, awesome. Most awesome planet. And <laughs> for today it is. Oh, okay. Yeah, for today it's absolutely the best. Uh, just a quick mention. Last week uh, we had a small audio issue, and I want to apologize for that. He was coming in a lot louder than me. It was just sometimes when you do these things across oceans, strange yeah, things happen. Swedish people feel that they have to scream. That, I mean, that's possible. You know, so your little country has a loud voice. You got to yell. Yes. See, I'm America, so, you know, all we do is just point our guns and our voice speaks for itself. I see. <laughs> oh, so we do. We did need to say something about that. And we apologize for anything. We Trust me, I went through days of trying to correct it, and there was no time for me and Dan to get back together to re-record everything, so we just kind of stuck with that as the recording. So, But I hope you still enjoyed it. And if you did enjoy it, you should go over to Patreon. Yes, patreon.com slash astronomy. That's where you can sponsor us if you like what we do and pledge uh, some of your choice per episode. So Patreon can kind of a contract between the creator of regular content and the fan. And uh, making podcasts takes time and money, so uh, we need some <laughs> to keep going. Um, but uh, that's what Patreon is. And if we can find $700 on Patreon, we will make Fan Astronomy Weekly. And if we can find $100, we will make a bonus episode 
uh, which will be about all the ways the universe is going to kill us. I can and, think uh, of seven yeah. off the top of my head. I'm sure there are at least. Uh, yeah, that was yeah, just a, a lot more than seven. Oh yeah, there's a lot more, but that, I can think of seven quick ones right off the top of my. Yeah, actually, hard one that uh, I wasn't afraid of, and uh, that I'm not sure. In in a comment, somebody said there could be an object nine times the sun traveling towards us at the speed of light, so we never detect it. But I think that one will not happen. We will see an object nine times the size of the sun coming at us. If it's moving at the speed of light, though, I mean, you wouldn't see it I don't think an object of that size can move at the speed of light. No, because at that point, it just becomes light. Once you start moving at sea, you begin to break down into photons, so mass cannot hold. Yes. It will also take uh, an enormous, an infinite amount of energy to get that object to the speed of light, so... Yeah, I mean, if if the current rules of physics hold, that's impossible. And you don't need an object of that size. You just need a gamma ray burst, and we are dead. A toast, literally. <laughs> but that's not what we are going to talk about today, because today we are going to talk about Mars. Mars, the red planet Mars. The planet is named after the Roman god of war. We have been obsessed with this planet for some time. During the early 20th century, it truly reached massive heights. Over the next hour or so, we're going to go through the truth, such as why it's red, and some of the falsehoods surrounding Mars, like little green men. Sitting roughly 47.2 miles away from its closest normal point. Million miles, I hope. Million. That's what I said. No, you just said miles. I said million miles. Okay. Listen, keep, you're sick. Keep going. Uh, <laughs> this isn't a set point in stone, however, due to Mars and Earth's ellipses or orbit. For example, in uh, 2003, it got as close as 33.9 million miles away. Uh, it hadn't been that close since about 50,000 years ago. No, I missed it in 2003. Didn't check for it. It must have been uh, the easiest time to spot Mars. Yeah, I like threw a baseball, but it missed. <laughs> it just, they, dude, planets can't catch. It's really a terrible thing. I bet they can't. Um, Mars is smaller than Earth, significantly smaller. Its mass is 0.107 Earths. So uh, that means we can shove almost 10 of these inside of us to make one of us? Yeah. Well, if we could squash them together. That's significantly of course, smaller. Of course, the diameter is bigger, so it looks like it's half as wide as the Earth, very roughly. But it it is bigger than Mercury, but it's significantly smaller than Venus or uh, the Earth. Uh, there is a very thin atmosphere on Earth, uh, on, on Mars, I mean. Oh, okay. <laughs> and it's mostly made out of carbon dioxide. We have some interesting temperature range on uh, on Mars, it's significantly when it's uh, at its coldest, it's significantly warmer than uh, the Moon at its coldest. And on a good summer day on Mars, you could actually reach into uh, nice temperatures. Yeah, about 95 degrees Fahrenheit, so yeah, like 35 like, Celsius. If if the sun had a good day, you could stand outside on Mars wearing just uh, uh, an air tank, like a scuba suit. Well, strangely. Um it really isn't a good day. It, because of its thin atmosphere, it's most days. That's just your daytime temp. Yeah, of course you would, um, um, what's, what's the English word? You would, uh, your blood vessels would, um, sort of break because of the low pressure. So, yeah. uh, yeah, that you wouldn't would die instantly like you would in, uh, outer space. 
No, it would be like, uh, have you ever seen Total Recall, the original, not the new one, where at the end Arnold's all... <laughs> yeah, Total Recall, best source of scientific fact about Mars. Yes, three-titted ladies. At its coldest, yeah, three-titted ladies, that's what Mars is all about. Uh, you get to 143 degrees Celsius, that's 226 Fahrenheit, so pretty cold. But one very, very interesting fact about Mars, which is kind of random, is that it has a 24.7 hour day. So it has a day that's only 40 minutes longer than our day, which means that adapting to life on Mars for human wouldn't be that hard uh, when it comes to day-night cycle. Because yeah. it's about the same. Yeah, that would be the only thing that wouldn't be hard. <laughs> no, there, there are some other things as well, actually, because uh, the incline on Mars is very similar to the Earth as well. So you get the same seasons as you get on Earth. But the year is 687 days long, Earth days, so or Mars days, pretty much. Yeah. So you get the summer is twice as long as the Earth summer and the winter is twice as long as the Earth winter. But it's still sort of a seasons, similar days. You see the sun at about half the size that you see uh, from Earth. But it's still similar. So psychologically, it could be important for us. I suppose. I mean, it would be weird to look up in the sky and look at the sun and it just be that tiny thing instead of what we're used to, you know. I mean, it's not that big here. And when you think about the idea of it's only half the size... You know. Yeah, fortunately, the moons on Mars are tiny, so they can't eclipse the sun. Nope. So you can get only partial uh, eclipses of the sun on Mars. Yeah, yeah. Phobos can sort of darken the sun, but Deimos is hardly noticeable in front of the sun. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Very much Last so. thing I wanted to mention is that uh, Mars has an elliptical orbit like all planets have. And uh, it's almost an oval rotation at points closer to the sun at at other father. Yeah, I mean, it just, it, it's one of those things where you, you think of an orbit, you think it's, oh, it's just a perfect circle, but the thing kind of drifts in and then drifts out and then drifts back in and drifts out. And, you know, that, that's, that's why Earth and Mars was able to get so close together because both of these planets do that. And this was one of those strange moments where Mars was drifting in and Earth was drifting out and we was in the same line of orbit. So it was like, holy crap, that's really close. I mean, in a way. You're not driving yeah, there. It is close, astronomically. Yeah, you're not driving there, but it's really close. So yeah, that was... yeah, It's close enough to help. If you want to send uh, stuff to Mars, you better do it when Mars is close. But you know what, Dan? We should take a step back. Uh, we And when we do, we see something completely different. We think of Earth as the only blue rocky planet in our solar system. And at the moment, eh, we're right. But at one time, Mars had liquid water. There's evidence of a massive oceans on its surface. It's gone now. Even the beautiful white caps on the planet's pole, it's not made of snow. It's made of uh, H2O. It's, it's the, I'm sorry, the snow is not made of water. Uh, that's frozen carbon dioxide. Under it, however, we think there might be some water. It's most likely frozen in a sort of permafrost at the poles, just like what we see in Alaska here on Earth or in Canada. Uh, we know this because of a few reasons. One of them is just impacts. When they occur... At the poles, it doesn't really kick up dust. Instead, it kicks up almost a muddy sun. The second is the Mars Odyssey spacecraft from 2001. It observed high levels of hydrogen, and hydrogen is obviously half of water. So, seems like there is ice. Sure, it's not really on the surface, but it's almost certainly there. That's not to say there's none. Some studies have possibly found liquid water on the surface, we think. 
Yeah, we do. Um, the problem with liquid water on Mars is uh, the air pressure. Because as we don't have an atmosphere with any significant pressure, water won't be a liquid on Mars, even at the right temperatures. No, if I mean, it will be, but not for long. No, very, very brief oceans. Yeah, it'll freeze but, or evaporate immediately. This is, of course, a question of great interest uh, right now. But we, we now think that there is plenty of water on Mars, just the water on the southern ice po- on the southern pole could cover the whole planet with 11 meters of water. That's 36 feet of water all over the planet. On the southern pole? I thought the northern pole was the main one. And that's the southern pole. I don't know what the northern pole can do, if there's more or not. There, it, it appears that both poles have a significant amount of amounts of water. So I don't know which one is the biggest. The northern one, because it has the leftover ocean. So then we will have even more water if we melt the northern cap. Yes, tons uh, more. There is some suggestions that only 4.3 million years ago, that's uh, yesterday in astronomical terms, uh, there was an ocean. Yep. With a depth of over a mile deep. That sounds extremely recent. Yeah, I mean, it's weird. Uh, I mean, they're saying basically that that has more water than the Arctic Ocean has currently here. Yep. That's a lot of water. That's a lot of water. Huh. Uh, as there is no oceans right now, you actually have about as much land on Mars as you have on Earth. So the, the surface area of Mars is very similar to the amount of land surface on Earth. Was that clear? Did you understand what I meant? Yep, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean that there is as much land specifically on Mars as there is on Earth, because a lot of our land is covered by water. Uh, yes. But on the surface of the planet, there we have about an equal amount of land as far as cubic miles go. Yes, yeah, so if you think Mars is small, it's not that small. That's a lot of land. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we have permafrost then on uh, most of the northern plains and on the polar cap in the south. Uh, there is frozen water under the surface, as we mentioned. And um, yes, if we if we melt it, we better take care of it. Otherwise, it will either refreeze or evaporate into space. Which would be bad or good. I, I don't know. It depends on what you're going for. I would really like the water to hang around in the atmosphere, but that's uh, very hard to arrange. Uh, the Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter, the MRO, has uh, observed some streaks appearing in Garney Crater on Mars, like um, over very short periods of time. And it looks like a flow. So there could actually be liquid water right under the surface. Yeah. Huh. Maybe actually, and go ahead. <clears throat> if the water is super salty, it can have a really low freezing point. Just like salt on roads helps to make the water liquid. Yeah, and I So think it's possible that we have some really bad water being in liquid form right yeah, underneath the surface. Yeah, they think if there is water on the surface, even for small, minute periods of time, the only reason they it can stay there is because it's brine. It's not necessarily what we think of as water. It, it's more salt than anything. It's it's kind of like a liquid salt in a way. So, yeah. I mean, we could preserve our food pretty well if we ever went there. And I would suppose there are methods of getting the salt out of the water. Oh, I mean, there's always ways. Just wait for the water to uh, evaporate out of it because the water will eventually leave it. And yeah. then you're left with a big chunk of salt. Yes. Okay, so the caps are white. Uh, the rest of the planet is red. That's from a substance called iron oxide, or what we call rust. Yep. 
rust. That stuff that grows on steel when you leave it out in the rain, eh, it's basically the surface of Marge. Huge dust storms. These dust storms make, uh, basically make this stuff cover the entire surface. These dust storms also make the sky itself red as it filters in only the red photons most of the day. So rust storms. Yes. That sounds pretty bad. So we just sat here and talked about how there's, like, no water on Mars. How the hell do we get rust? Yeah, how does that happen? Uh, probably during the time when Mars had more water than... Oh, that makes sense. And uh, then it spread around the globe by the dust storms. I think this um, sounds like a bad soil to um, do stuff with, but it's still a lot better than uh, the stuff you find on the moon. Yeah, you would think, I mean, it would be bad immediately, but you would think that... I mean, it's mostly surface covering. So the question is, could you clear it? But even if you cleared it, you'd have to protect it from, you know, further dust storms. So, hmm. I think it also has uh, some other interesting things in the in the soil on our uh, on Mars that can help us. But I'll get back to that. Uh, the dust storms then uh, can last years, worst case, and can cover the entire planet. So we have these. We have things orbiting and running around on Mars uh, most of the time. And when one of these big dust storms strike, there are a lot of problems. We've also seen dust devils on Mars, uh, especially in um, close to the rovers. Then, yeah, you can actually pull up pictures from the Mars rovers where you can watch dust devils shoot right past them. You know, and what a dust devil is for anybody who doesn't have to suffer these things. I know I don't where I'm at. Uh, we never have them in PA. Uh, we only have uh, forests here, so we don't know what dust devils are. Right. That's kind of the way Pennsylvania is. We're, we're all forests. Basically, they're little miniature tornadoes. Cute. Yeah. And it's just where the wind starts to kick up the dust, and it blows it. And it looks like a tornado with, you know, dust flying everywhere. That's why we call them dust devils. Uh, it's really cool to watch because, you know, you know that a rover is very small, so you don't think, so you have to scale the size accordingly when you're yeah. looking through it. And, I mean, these things are, you know, four or five, ten times the size of the rover. So, you know, you're looking at, you know, a ten-foot dust devil kicking up, and it's, I, I mean, I would think it would be damaging if it hit the rovers, but, you know, is what it is. Uh, because of the rust particles in the, the tiny atmosphere, they absorb the blow photons and scatters the red, making the sky appear red on Mars as opposed to blue here on Earth. Huh. Uh, they also uh, make visibility a problem, so you can most often see about 20 miles or 30 kilometers, uh, but uh, then you, uh, visibility gets obscured by rust particles in the air or in the atmosphere. But on, at sunset, you can get a blue um, a blue sky if you're opposite of Earth. So, okay, you get the blue sky in the yeah. morning and the red sky during the day. That is absolutely the opposite of Earth. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, that's absolutely opposite. That, that That is actually really interesting. Like, that's not something that you'd immediately think. You know what I mean? Like, no. like wait a second. Oh, darn, it's getting dark. The sky is nice and blue. What? Huh? No. It gets red. No, no, not here. That would be weird. If you look at all, the rowers are producing tons of pictures, and look at them, it's uh, quite a beautiful world. In its own way, it absolutely is. Uh, strangely, this tiny planet, though, has the largest mountain in the solar system. And I mean, this thing's huge. Olympus Mons is bigger than Mount Everest. It's even larger than the large island of Hawaii, 
from its highest peak all the way down to the ocean floor. That, my friend, is big. It's a volcano. It wasn't formed from tectonics. Uh, this was formed from molten lava from below the surface bulging out. Volcanoes, however, these volcanoes, however, are no longer really active. The core, we believe, is cold and dead. Due to this, Mars has no magnetosphere as well. This is also why the water is gone, we believe, as it just lets the solar winds pummel this planet. Yeah, the mountain Olympus Mons, uh, renamed when we learned more about Mars, it had, uh, the original name was Nix Olympus, I think, the snows of Mount Olympus. But then they discovered, oh, it had no snows, so we better rename it. Yeah, so now they just named it Mount Olympus. There is another mountain in the solar system, we'll get back to that in another episode, that you could argue is bigger than Olympus Mons, but it depends entirely how you measure it, because there is no sea level, so how do you count the height of the mountain? But the average uh, height of Olympus Mons is 22 kilometers, or 13.6 miles. That's That's huge. Yeah, that's two and a half times bigger than Mount Everest. Uh, It's about the size of Wyoming, or almost as large as France. Uh, It's no accident that this gigantic mountain exists on Mars, because Mars has much lower gravity than Earth. On Earth, the mountains are held back by the enormous gravity of the Earth, but you can't have a mountain of this size on a smaller body like Mercury or the Moon, because there, there's not enough stuff. The, the, the object itself is not big enough to create this big mountain. Right. So it's no accident this thing happens on Mars and nowhere else. Yeah, it's just a big bulge. I mean, this thing is just stupid big, folks. I mean, like, if you was on one end of it and you was walking up to the top, you wouldn't even notice you was going up. That's a, a, a very little slope and a very big mountain. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, when you get 13 and a half miles into it, or 13, well, you'd be 13 and a half miles up. So when you get 500 or so miles into it, then you reach the middle of it and you go, holy crap, I'm way up here. But you still wouldn't even notice you was on a mountain. That's amazing. It got this big because of the lack of tectonics. We don't have nothing, you know, on top of the reasons Dan said, it, it has nothing pulling it under like we have here where we have subduction, which, you know, it only lets a mountain get so big and then the earth starts to reclaim it. Up on Mars, it doesn't do that, so <laughs> that's bad. <laughs> and of course, we have uh, very little erosion. The the rust storms doesn't do much damage to this thing. No. Uh, as it is so high, you have an atmospheric pressure on top of it of only 12% of the atmospheric pressure on the Martian surface, which in itself is extremely low. You have all uh, at least six different calderas, that's eruption points of the volcanoes. It's not uh, one big giant crater. This is like... Uh, under Yellowstone, we talk about super volcanoes. Like, yeah. that's supposed to be the biggest one in the world. And imagine that that thing blows up, and it blows up six times, and leaves huge holes behind. That's basically what the top of this thing looks like in a way. I mean, the calderas are filled in. You can see pictures of it, you know, online. But you can clearly count them. You're like, one, two, yeah, this thing's blown up a few times. It's pretty interesting. It must have been spectacular with the volcanic eruption of that size on a planet with low gravity. Yeah, that must have spewed a lot of crap out in the space. We will kind of get an impression of what it could have looked like when we get to Io, the moon of Jupiter. Uh, there are three uh, like regular shield volcanoes to the south of Olympus Mons called the Tharsis Montes. Montes, that's like mountain range. Ah. Yeah. 
<laughs> yes, <laughs> nailed it. Uh, the magnetosphere is gone. There is no uh, significant magnet magnetic field on Mars. There, there are some areas would have small magnetic fields. And these but, areas work like an umbrella. They can, uh, you know, kind of ward off the solar winds. And it, it's not enough to be significant across the entirety of the planet. But, you know, these are things that have held magnetism from when there was a magnetosphere. They're just still magnetic, you know, because a magnet takes time to lose its magnetism. And yeah. these things are sprinkled all over the southern hemisphere. But can they protect from, uh, significantly protect from the radiation of the sun? In areas. Some so, I mean, if you were in that area, you could be out on the surface of Mars in your scuba suit. You could, in areas. The problem yeah. is, these areas go from, this spot is really strong right here, and you're really good, and then you move a mile to the left, and you've left it. Ouch. And then, you know, then you're in a spot that gets, that might be slightly stronger than, you know, what's normally there. And you need like SPF 200. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's really weird. They, they, they vary hugely, but these things are pockmarked all over the southern, uh, the southern hemisphere of the planet. Like I, I, I saw a diagram of it when I was preparing for the show, and I was really shocked by how much of the landmass was actually covered by these. But it's also clearly not enough to consider any area truly safe. No, and I are they really strong enough? Because the the magnetosphere of the Earth is pretty strong to keep out the sun, the sun's radiation. I mean, these things could do it on a small scale, but yeah. still protect people. Yeah, a very small scale. It would protect people. Uh, it would protect some of our equipment. Sweet. You know, so, I mean, there, there's some good to it, but at the same time, I wouldn't trust my life on them because no. they are continually getting weaker. These are, you know, magnetized rocks that, you know, it might be a huge magnetized rock, and that's going to cover a good area, but for the most part, it is going to continue to get weaker until it just dies off as well. So that that's not oh. Hey, for some reason, you know, we give Galileo Galilee credit for discovering Mars. And just in case you're wondering, he didn't. He was just the first person who happened to point a telescope at it during 1610. We knew of Mars for thousands of years. It was called the Wanderer for a good period of time because it didn't act like the other stars. In fact, it was Mars that was the smoking bullet that killed the belief that Earth was the center of the universe. In the 16th century, mathematician Nicholas Copernicus used its... Strange floating in the sky to deduce that Mars wasn't going backwards in the sky. It was simply following its route around the sun as we did ours. We make our turn before it does, and it gives it a strange appearance of going in both directions, depending on our location. In 1877, an Italian astronomer named Giovanni Schiaparelli used the world's most advanced telescope of the time. With the scope, he was able to see Mars as about the size of a dime at arm's length. From this, he tried to sketch out what he was seeing. He saw a lot of lines, and he called them canali, which should have been translated to channels, but it was instead translated to canals. You see, America at the time was getting ready to build the Panama Canal, and it was just so popular to build canals. People actually thought that that's just what advanced civilizations did. So this created a craze that still to this day really hasn't ended, uh, but we'll talk about that stuff later. Yeah. Well, um, Galileo was the first person to use the telescope for astronomical purposes in 1610, but uh, he was absolutely not the first person to see Mars, because anybody can see Mars. 
It's visible with the naked eye. Yeah, you uh, just just got to look up. And it's kind of red, so you um, you can identify it. Um, the only objects that are brighter than Mars in the sky is Jupiter, Venus, the Moon, and the Sun, of course. So Mars is pretty easy to detect. You can can kind of tell that this is not a star if you keep if you look at this sky for any significant amount of time. And you have the knowledge that there are other things out there. You, you got to keep in mind, like these people didn't quite, you know, realize your average person at least didn't quite realize that there was other things out there. You know? Yeah, but what you notice with Mars is that it uh, it moves uh, much more than the stars do. So it looks like something special, and that's why it became uh, a god in many religions. Yes, ancients. That's why we called it the Wanderer. Because it just wandered up there. It was like, you know, those stars stay where they're supposed to be, and this thing just does whatever in the hell it feels like. <laughs> yeah, the canals, optical illusions, uh, modern spacecraft show no such features. We would have seen them. We proved them false in 1965 with Mariner 4 flying by. We did. And we Yes. And we also know now that uh, there is, of course, and has not been any advanced civilizations on Mars. The planet is quite well explored at this point we still hope to find life but we'll talk about that later yeah um we should talk, take a second to talk about copernican heliocentrism uh of course th- this was published back in uh, 1543 and it put the sun at the center of the universe with everything going around it now this isn't accurate but it was the most accurate at the time with this the sun being the center at least of uh, you know it, it's incorrect his observations were incorrect on this on a galactic scale, but not on a system scale. Yeah. So, like, I mean, he he basically sketched out the solar system for the first time, and the retrograde motion of the other planets. You know, that's explained completely by Earth's motion, which is what brought him to this heliocentrism. I, I mean, if it wasn't for him, you know, it might have been another hundred years before people figured out that the Earth wasn't the center of the universe. Yeah, there, there was an ancient Greek guy, Aristarchus, who uh, suggested that the Earth revolved around the sun in uh, the 3rd century BC, but uh, they kind of forgot about him for all of the medieval period. That, and Copernicus was the one who brought it back. Yes. Uh, I mean, that Copernicus also was the one who had enough clout that it became a dominant theory. Exactly. Where the other one was pretty much argued until uh, the Romans died, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not they didn't completely die, but when the empire fell, I mean, they were still contemplating that, as the Romans like to do. And also, most of the ancient Greek knowledge was lost to us until uh, the Renaissance. Thank goodness for fires. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if the library didn't burn, we would have all that stuff. Yeah, we kind of got it back uh, with the Crusades, a lot of the stuff as well, because the Arabs um, kept the knowledge of the Romans much better than Europe did. Yeah, but the Library of Alexander burning a major blow. Oh, yes. Hey, wait, this is an astronomy podcast, not a history podcast. Uh, (laughs) Mars has some appropriately named moons, by the way. Two moons are named Phobos and Demios. Uh, (laughs) Mars is the Romanized name for Ares from Greek mythology. And Phobos and Demios are twin brother children of Ares and Aphrodite. So the names actually fit perfectly. Good job. Try that with Jupiter now. 
<laughs> you're going to run out of names. These two moons are more than likely captured satellites. Uh, their regular shape leads most of us to believe this. They both kind of look like potatoes. Phobos is the closer and larger of the two and is doomed to a horrific end. It's just too close to Mars. Uh, Demios, on the other hand, is further away and should be safe for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I think the names mean terror and horror, pretty much. Uh, yes. Um, uh, go- the god Demios was the personification of horror, or terror, yeah. and Phobos was the personification of horror. Nice guys. Yeah, good people. <laughs> Both moons were discovered by a guy called Asaph Hall in 1877. Uh, and one thing you need to know when you think about the Martian moons is that they are both super close to Mars. Uh, we have our own moon. It hangs around at about 35,000, uh, 3,500,000 kilometers from the Earth. But these things are super close. Yeah. Um, Deimos is uh, much closer. I think it is. No, Phobos is much closer. Phobos is much closer. Phobos is the bigger one. And given that Phobos is so close, it looks like one third the size of our moon in the Martian sky. But it's not. But it's, it's nowhere close to that. It's really small. And Deimos is even smaller. And you see Deimos, it almost looks like a star, except that it moves uh, really fast over the night sky uh, on Mars. You can see Deimos if you know what it is. But Phobos is very noticeable, and that means that Phobos is too close then, and it will get destroyed in uh, a couple of million years, perhaps 50. Uh, I, I've i seen 30 to 50, so I just figure about 40 million years. I've seen 1 to 50, actually, so they, they don't really know, I think. Uh, it's the closest moon to a parent planet that uh, in the entire solar system. It's the closest one in the galaxy that we know of, in the yeah, universe of that we know of. I don't think of. we know of any exomoons at all. No, but that we know of, it is the closest one ever. And because it is so close in this danger site, it actually moves around Mars faster than Mars rotates. Ooh, so yeah. you will see it rise and set twice a day. Yeah. So it uh, comes up in the west, sets in the east, it takes four hours and 50 minutes to go across the sky, and then it comes back. Yes, and when you say day, you mean like literally while the light is visible. Yes. <laughs> it happens about four times a, uh, what is that, a solar day? Yeah, or um, our solar day, or Earth day or Mars day, they're all the same. No, 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 the, a solar day, okay. I think, is the time, uh, is like what we think of as daytime, where, you know, it's the time that you can actually see light. Oh, okay. And then okay. there's another type of day that is the full 24-hour, 40-minute, 43-minute uh or no, 24 hour, 40 minute, and like 18 seconds or something like that. Uh, yes. complete revolution that Mars takes. So it does that about four times, four or five times in a day. You know, every four hours, it, there it goes. <laughs> yeah. So it's, uh, it's an interesting thing in the sky. Yeah. That thing's uh, hauling ass. We have uh, looked a lot on Phobos, especially, and, um, seems that it's about 27 times 22 times 18 kilometers, but its density is really low. So it seems to be a rubble pile held together by thin crust. Yeah, I think the mean radius, and by mean you have to go with the average, um, is only like seven miles. I think it's 11. Uh, no, seven miles. Yes, 11 kilometers. Yeah. So. Miles, kilometers, things is confusing. Yeah, I'm sorry. So that's your average, you know, but it's it's so much bigger than Demios. 
And it has a tiny, tiny gravity. So the escape velocity from Phobos is about 40 kilometers an hour. But that is a significant advantage over Deimos because that means that you can't accidentally leave the surface of Phobos if you're out walking on it, which can happen on Deimos. Because if you like run on Deimos, you leave the planet, you leave the moon. You don't do this in Phobos. And the fact that Phobos is probably has caves. It's hollow uh, at points. Makes people think that perhaps we shouldn't go to Mars first. Well, we should go to Phobos. Because on Phobos you get these caves. You get... Uh, it's very easy to land on Phobos. You can use the same technology we used of landing on the moon. But that technology cannot be used on Mars. Because Mars has about double the gravity of the moon. Our moon. Yes. And it actually and that has... That the lunar way of landing on Mars doesn't work. Yeah, and it also has an atmosphere, which matters. I mean, it's yes, not a... It's too weak an atmosphere to land on the planet like you land on Earth, because that can't be done either. So landing True. on Mars is actually really hard. True, but the thing is, like, okay, when we used our lunar landers, we didn't have to worry about any resistance going through its atmosphere, because there wasn't. Well, yeah. Mars is going to create some resistance. It does burn up uh, small meteorites in the sky. Yes, so landing on Mars, super hard. Yeah, not anything we've done yet. That's we have to figure this one out. But landing on Phobos, really easy. Yep. So, so Phobos is uh, very interesting. There has been some uh, attempts at exploring it. But if you look at Deimos, then hold on one second, yeah. if you don't mind. Did you mention oh, when it okay. does break up that uh, Mars is going to get a ring? Yes. Yeah, it, I didn't mention that, but when okay. it breaks up, it, it won't crash into. Uh, Mars. I think it gets about two meters closer in uh, a significant amount of time. Now I forget the amount of time. Yeah, uh, two meters every 100 years. So uh, it will not crash into Mars. It will get torn apart by tidal forces. And it yeah. seems like tidal forces are already affecting Phobos. But when it does, uh, some of it will remain as a ring. Which will be so awesome to see a rock planet with. There are some suggestions that there's been more moons on Mars, and that some of them have been torn up. And there are some calculations that show that there should be a ring. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Between uh, Phobos and Deimos, but uh, we haven't been able to find it, so there's no proof for that. Yeah, I would think Phobos' gravity combined with Mars's gravity and velocity would kind of scatter it out. That's my personal belief, but, you know, I'm probably wrong. Yeah, because these rings are temporary. They they will be gone after a while. Yep. For Deimos, then, you have... Uh, the mass of Deimos is about one-seventh of Phobos, and the mean radius is 3.9 miles. It takes about 30 hours for Deimos to go around Mars, so it's slower than the rotation of Mars. And this thing looks a lot like a C-class meteor. And we will talk more about meteor classes when we get to... Uh, or asteroid, right? Yeah, I mean, we're going to talk about the asteroid belt next episode. And, yes. I mean, this is mostly carbonaceous chondrite. And, I mean, that is a C-class meteor, which is a very heavy, rocky. So th- this one is not like the rubble pile that we talk about with Phobos. This is this is a rock. Like, this is the type of thing that, like, killed dinosaurs. Yes. Interesting. Uh, the origin of the Martian moons is heavily debated right now, actually. So, oh, yeah. Uh, it's, uh, we've been thinking that they are captured asteroids because they kind of look like captured asteroids, but right now it's being heavily debated. Uh, some having them form, uh, yeah. like like uh, the Jupiter moons, I guess. And there are also a lot of suggestions that they are results of collisions, just like our own moon. And you know what? Phobos will be gone probably before we finally quit arguing about how this was created. <laughs> I mean, it's just kind of true. Phobos. I mean, it's... They look really weird. You would think that if they were created moons, they would have more roundness to them. Um, no, they're, they're too small to be round. I get that, but still at the same time, I, I just believe they'd be more round than what they are. Just, I mean, I know the math and everything, but... I'm, I'm surprised that this is a debate, actually, because I thought we knew a lot about moons as we have so many moons in the solar system. But I guess we can't observe the moons of Jupiter and Saturn, etc., yeah, we don't know yeah. shit, dude. Well enough to, to <laughs> understand the origin of moons. But it, most of them seems to have formed in place or been captured. It's true. But going back to Mars, the surface is a lot like the Mojave Desert of the southwest United States. It's so much like it, in fact, that it, we use it for test runs for the rovers and other machines that we plan on sending. Them. These rovers are doing great testing on the surface of Mars, and this is our first step to landing. Every episode, Dan's going to take some time to explain colonization, uh, yes. and normally he's nuts. But this one is happening. Uh, SpaceX, a company owned by Elon Musk, is making plans and actually taking applications for going to Mars on a one-way trip in 2020. That's uh, amazing if they manage to do that. Yeah, right? <laughs> it won't be me. I promise you that. <laughs> I, I would go. I'm not going until you can bring me back. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. <laughs> um, there are currently two active rovers on Mars, Curiosity and Opportunity. Uh, we have Spirit, but it's now inactive. There are six missions orbiting Mars, which means that we already have a satellite communication system in place on Mars. These things can relay messages, and they have been equipped with satellite technology to serve as a communication system about Mars. Yeah, I, mean- I did not know this before yesterday, so I, I was quite impressed with that. 
Yeah. Uh, the main missions of the Curiosity Spirit and Opportunity Rovers, again, Spirit, we shut it down, is basically the search for organic carbon, fossils, and just habit, habit, habitability. <laughs> uh, they also send pictures back, which are amazing. I mean, you can actually watch these live, sort of. I mean, <laughs> It, they're 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 a bit behind, a few hours, but I mean they're as live as we can get them here on Earth. You can watch them over the internet that way, and you know they do search for like H two O in the soil, you know, composition and what have you. But I don't think they're digging deep enough. I don't think they're capable of it. So. Was it spirit that died like ten times and started and revived again? Yeah, it kept shutting itself down and then coming back and then shutting. And finally, they just said all the hell with it. And the last time that it was active, they just shut it down. So, yes, Mars has our junk. <laughs> yes. Um, speaking, I will speak about colonization now because this is the prime colonization target in the solar system. You kind of get away from Earth, safe distance. Uh, it's still pretty close. There's a lot of things going for Mars. First communication with Earth, then, you will be able to speak to people on Mars in a few minutes. You can get below one minute, I think, in uh, delay. No, not below no, one minute, but no. you get a, a pretty short delay. You can't have a normal conversation like you can have with people on the moon. But it, the delay is at most 44 minutes going around. So if, if Mars and Earth are on different sides of the sun, it could take up to 44 minutes to get a reply. But that's kind of manageable, at least. Kind of. Kind of. I mean, so, you're going to want to have your conversations. Like, you're going to want to state your side of the conversation and then, you know, let that go. You're not going to, you know, you, there's not going to be any debate between the two planets. No, <laughs> definitely not. Uh, Elon Musk's goal with his company SpaceX is to help humanity establish a permanent self-sustaining colony on Mars within the next 50 to 100 years. And these time estimates, they vary widely. So, okay, first let's look at the advantages of Mars okay. for a colony. First of all, we have the Martian day very close to the Earth day. So no big adjustment there. Yep. The big land area. Like, we, we know how much land is similar to the amount of land on Earth. Plenty of land to do stuff on. Uh, the seasons and the presence then of water, ice. Uh, there, there are, of course, some differences that will be interesting. We don't know if extremophile organisms can survive on Mars, but we think that it might be possible. Like, we have some extremophiles uh, surviving in horrible conditions on the Earth, so we don't know if they can do it. But if they could, we could probably use them to, in a sense, terraform Mars a little bit at least. Well, I mean, you look at the bottom of the ocean. It's been flat proven that we don't have, uh, that we have organisms down there that don't need the sun. Yes. So there is a possibility that, you know, if there is a lake under all that ice at the northern cap, that maybe, just maybe, we could have some of those extreme organisms hanging out in there. Yes, and then we have to, then there of course could be the danger if if they can hurt us in some way, or if our extremophiles that come along on the space journey, that they could hurt the Martian extremophiles. Hmm. Uh, but the big question about colonization on Mars is the gravity. This 38% gravity compared to the Earth is really hard to understand because it's 
We know what gravity does on the moon, but this is about twice the gravity of the moon. So it could be enough for our bodies, but it also could be really dangerous. And we just don't know that yet. Um, there has been propositions that, okay, maybe you could have like big um, carousels, roundabouts, like you sleep in if you live on Mars, that could simulate Earth gravity. So you spend your sleeping hours in Earth-like gravity, simulated gravity to like keep your bones and your muscles. But huh. that sounds um, <laughs> complicated. I mean, we can create artificial gravity. So I mean, uh, yes. I mean, we can we can just do that. So. I mean, wherever we would build, we would assume that we would have, you know, artificial gravity, boom, turned on at all times. For the most part, you're going to live your life inside of these bunkers or shells that we'd build, I would assume. And, you know, when you go out, that's when you would have to adapt. But I don't think... I think it would be hard to have, like, because of Mars gravity, it would be hard to keep, like, offices and places where you walk about in Earth gravity. But... If you are stationary, like when you're sleeping, it's easier to to simulate Earth gravity. Well, we just have to create downward force gravity. Um, So, I mean, you don't necessarily have to use centrifugal gravity, which, you know, is the easiest way of doing it, I know. But we just have to come up with a better way for downward force gravity. Interesting. Yeah. And if we come up with that, then, you know, we could build a shell, put the shell wherever we're going to live, you know, and then with the and have the shell create its own downward force gravity and then all of a sudden boom there you go when you're inside it's like walking around you know at the local mall that sounds hard to do i don't think it's that far off man okay let's get back to downward gravity simulations <laughs> at a later state uh, another problem is of course that mars is colder than the earth and when you look at these um survival conditions, you will discover that surviving in Antarctica is kind of similar like surviving on Mars. So uh, we, we conduct experiments on Antarctica for to discover how we s- should survive on Mars. Um, you get solar energy, of course, and that's the easiest way to produce energy on Mars. But the solar energy is only 43% uh, of what you get on Earth. But the atmosphere doesn't stop as much solar energy. So you get somewhat more, 59% of Earth's solar energy. And that's still significant energy than if you could build these solar panels. So we think that solar energy is the main way of getting energy on Mars. Just find the oil burner coal, man. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, we have the, uh, the, the solar radiation, which will be a problem. Uh, the atmospheric pressure is too low, so you can't uh, walk around on uh, Mars for a very long time with, uh, before your blood vessels and lungs collapse and stuff. Yeah, you'd need a suit. Yes. Uh, so uh, there has been an experiment uh, talking about the extremophiles. In 2012, we did an experiment where lichen and cyanobacteria survived under Martian conditions on, for 34 days. Wow. So, and if we could get these kind of things going, we could probably produce oxygen. We could get photosynthesis going in sheltered conditions, like under a, a glass thing. Uh, we could probably produce food and perhaps fuel as well. Huh. So, uh, that would be uh, interesting. Of course, we don't know the long-term effects on human health from gravity. We also don't really know how people will react. Uh, on living on Mars. So what's the psychological uh, things? And one interesting thing I discovered is that NASA, NASA? We call it NASA. NASA. um, They absolutely 
forbid sexual relations on space uh, space in space. You're like, no, you can't have sex in space. And that becomes very relevant when you <laughs> travel. Perhaps you have to go, the round trip is, or a mission to Mars would be going for two and a half years. Yep. Then if you can't have sex, it's, um, what does that do? But if people have sex, we have absolutely very little knowledge about how being on Mars would affect uh, being pregnant. I know that the birth of a child. I know that the SpaceX thing, they don't care. There's like, yeah, hippies, we can have sex. It's going to be a huge fuck cruise. It's just, you know. (laughs) Sounds amazing. I mean, like, they purposely went out and they found uh, an equal amount of males and females to go on this trip. And And let nature sort it out. Yeah, let nature just do its thing. People are going to, you know, have to scratch that itch. And because I'll tell you right now, you stick me in space on a round trip and say, yeah, you're not going to have sex for five years. I'm going to be like, yeah, I'm not going. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, we think that um, we know that it's Mars is easier to reach than any planet except Venus. But as we talked about on the Venus episode, you don't really want to go to Venus. Uh, and we think that we could uh, cut travel time down to four to seven months getting to Mars. There is the problem of uh, the landing, but we already talked about that. We don't really know right now how we would manage to land and leave again. So we know how to land stuff on Mars that is not alive because we have the rowers, but uh, we don't really know how to land people. We definitely don't know how to land them in a way that they could go back. Yeah, that's why it's a one-way trip with SpaceX. Yeah, you're going to go there and you're going to die. Enjoy. Uh, Elon Musk said another interesting thing. If if, uh, you can put a million people on Mars, you are still assuming an incredible amount of productivity per person because of all the stuff you would need to have a self-sustained life support system on Mars. And you, I have a shopping list, shopping list for what you need. Okay, to, uh, I'm all ears. To stay alive on Mars. This is like the minimum. You need habitats, storage yep. facilities, shop workspaces, resource extraction equipment. You could probably mine a lot of interesting stuff on Mars that you would need. Uh, you need energy production, solar, and perhaps nuclear as well. You need food production spaces and equipment. You would need to have propellant production equipment, that is, okay, rocket fuel if you are still using chemical rockets. And you probably have to, to break out of Mars, because the escape velocity of Mars is significant. You need fuels, of course. And if you could construct them there, it would be an advantage. You need communication equipment. But I think a lot of this stuff could be achieved through 3D printers. If you could transform the Martian soil and minerals materials into something you could use there, you could 3D print stuff on Mars, and you don't wouldn't need to bring everything from the Earth because, of course, bringing stuff from the Earth is uh, difficult. We have a very interesting phenomenon with Phobos being this close to the Martian surface. We actually have a Lagrange point uh, that is only now I forget the distance, but it's super close to the surface of Mars. Huh. And that means that you could have a space station there, which would be kept in place by the gravity of Phobos. And that's probably a, a really big advantage. And as I said, uh, well, colonizing from Phobos. Wait, 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 wait. But Phobos yeah. is constantly getting closer. So that's not a yeah, but that's, that's holding slow. That's, Lagrange point. 
Yeah, two meters, a hundred years for Phobos. So uh, the Lagrange points is pretty stable for this time scale. Yeah, if you need only a hundred years to. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. I, I was just sitting there thinking, wait, 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 we can't. Yeah, that's not that's not a permanent solution. And of course, the the big the biggest problem, of course, is why? Why would you do this? Can we unite in a way to do this? And what would be a reason? Because we don't get away from the destruction of uh, the sun this way. Nope. Mars is still a pretty bad place. We, perhaps we could get away from uh, humanity destroying the Earth, the environment on the Earth. But um, it's still a major, super expensive project to do this. Yeah. So uh, We do have a lot of... Uh, we could do some great astronomy on Mars that we can't do, especially from Phobos, without the Martian uh, atmosphere in the way. Uh, we also think that we could run into some interesting um, political and legal challenges on Mars, especially now when government agencies have taken a step back, and this is driven by companies. So if Elon Musk and SpaceX are the first to come to Mars, what happens to Mars? Uh, there is this delay communicating with the Earth. What, what kind of society will evolve on Mars, and uh, will this be different? You would think that there would be, just from environmental changes, you know, their basic living conditions, you would think that there well, would just be... Well, just from the psychology there, that yeah. we, the ownership of Mars is unclear. Yeah. Um, and if we get a million people on Mars, that's a, that's a country. So yeah. who'd run that? And if that country runs some oak, how would you put it back in order? Are you sending space marines from Earth? Ah, you <laughs> just send nukes, man. Can't do that. Just send nukes. It's all Wait, like ooh. Doom, right? Ooh, you send Gundams. What's that? Oh, you never watched the Gundam series? No, I haven't. It's a crazy anime. Like, the Earth sphere is always fighting with the Martians. And the Martians are old Earth people, and it's giant robots, and it's exactly what you think of when you think of it. Oh. Yeah. Uh, there are some really uh, positive um, evaluations of when we can be on Mars. And uh, the, in the 2020s, there's a lot of people that think that we will place a human on the surface of Mars. The first guy will be there very soon. Yeah, 2020 is so, quick. That's yeah, probably years. not 2020, but in the 2020s at least. Yeah, yeah. I mean, 2020 is three years away, so that says a lot right there. Uh, Richard Branson, the guy behind Virgin, right? Yes. Uh, says, quote, that he is determined to be a part of starting a population on Mars. I think it is absolutely realistic. It will happen. I think over the next 20 years, we will take literally hundreds of thousands of people to space, and that will give us the financial resources to do even bigger things. Yeah, he's using space tourism as his main funding. Sounds lovely. Yeah. Let's go. You take rich people, you take them up into the, you know, the outer atmosphere, and they get to say, hey, I paid to go to space, and you charge them out of the wazoo, as it were, and you just take their money and go, all right, now we're going to take this money that that person obviously was able to blow, and <laughs> we're going to go put it to something a little more good for all of civilization. Yeah, so that was my big colonizing Mars rant, because this is the number one target for colonization. Let's yeah. do it. Yeah, this one's going to happen. Uh, we're going to take a really quick break. You listen to my wife uh, talk about our Facebook group, and then we will return to talk about the crap I like, all the oddities of Mars. Hello. Are you enjoying the show so far? I hope you are. Well, if so, I encourage you all to pause the show. Don't worry. We'll wait. Go to facebook.com forward slash fan of astronomy and hit that like button. You'll be one of the first people to know when a new episode comes out. 
Also on that page, the guys post articles on the latest news in the astronomy field and outer space in general. You also get to interact with the hosts of our show, Dan and Angelo there, so please hit that like button on Facebook. Thanks. Okay, so it's time for the really cool stuff about Mars, the oddities. It's the first thing most people think of when you bring up Mars is, of course, Little Green Men. Uh, part of this is Schiaparelli's fault or the mistranslation of the word canali. Uh, once it was translated to English as canal instead of channels, people began to think there has to be an advanced civilization on Mars, that there might be aliens that there, but they, that, ah, there might be aliens, but they're not what many had expected. In the early 20th century, uh, was just filled with all kinds of thoughts of aliens. Hollywood and radio took full advantage of this. The most famous of these stories, of course, is War of the Worlds. Actor and filmmaker Orson Welles read and dramatized a novel written by H.G. Wells, not related, in 1968. With the news broadcast style they used, people tuning in late grew into a panic, thinking the Earth was under attack, although the panic wasn't as widespread as popular myth would lead you to believe. Some people did, in fact, panic, though. It was mostly a media-created story, in all honesty. Some reporters were outraged by them not explaining this was a drama, except once every minutes or so. So the show was a light commercial production. So, so they did explain that it was a drama uh, oh, in yeah. 30 minutes. At the beginning of the show, they did. Yeah. And then every 30 minutes or so during the show, they had a commercial break. And they would explain, you know, and now back to Orson Welles, starring in H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds. And then they would go back to it. But, <laughs> you know, if you tuned in in the middle, and, and see, there's this, okay, so there was this famous radio guy named Edgar Bergen, okay? Yep. And his show ended about seven to eight minutes into War of the Worlds being read. Oh, so people switched over. Exactly. People switched over to, you know, to check something else out because Mr. Bergen was done. It was actually a musical interlude. It wasn't even, you know, it was like the, what they did <laughs> back then a lot of times is they did musical interludes in, you know, when these guys had their talk shows. It would be like, oh, we'll talk for 15 minutes and then we'll play music for three and then do a quick one minute commercial and then, you know, back to the show. Well, people would skip them like we skip commercials. You know, commercial comes on your TV, you change stations. Bang. Well, that's what they were doing. They were just changing the station because they didn't want to listen to the music of the commercial. And then they tune into this thing where, you know, he's on there and it sounds like a news guy talking about, yes, what is this? Oh, my God, it crashed. Oh, oh my, there's little green men and, you know, and blah, 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 blah. And like the, the first tip was this was performed on Halloween Day. Like, that should have been the first clue that this was not real. Um, the premise of the book obviously was an invasion from Martian. Uh, the outcry from this, however, and this was, again, this was mainly a media thing. You know, a couple people tuned in, kind of like we have the social justice warriors nowadays saying, you know, oh, that was offensive and what have you. It was like the same thing where they're like, hey, this is just outrageous. You have to tell people more often that this isn't real because, you know, if you really, like, used your brain, you'd have been like, yeah, this isn't real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when the alien invasion comes, you will notice. Yeah, you'll notice pretty quickly. So it just, I mean, it does stand out, though. And look, I mean, Little Green Man, Aliens in general, has spawned so many movies. I, can oh, yes. si- I, I, I mean, we can just sit here and just go over the list of movies and everything that just surrounds Aliens. Independence Day, yeah. It, Total Recall. Check out, like, uh, check out uh, Arrival running right now in cinemas. Really yeah. good. I mean, there was even a movie called Mars Attacks. <laughs> yeah, that's. Uh, I kind of realized that was fiction when I saw it. 
Yeah, because of the little green men? Because they're quite literally little green men. Uh, pretty funny as well. Uh, popular in culture just embraced the idea of aliens from Mars, and it really scared them until, you know, proof that they didn't. I mean, that they didn't exist or what have you. But I love this idea of the Mars because we just go, oh, man, there's aliens there. They're all going to come kill us. And we've all, you know, heard the term Martian, and everybody has an idea of what a Martian looks like. Whether you believe that they're there or not, you just, you have this, that's a Martian. <laughs> yeah, you would think that even when Galileo looked at Mars, or maybe not with his resolution, but in 1877 when that guy discovered the moons, he should be able to tell that there are no advanced civilizations on Mars because there are no lights. Right. That was one of the things I thought. Like, I'm like, okay, so you see these canals, but, uh, and it's actually pronounced channel. Okay. That's how it should have been translated. Yeah. But you, you, you would think, oh, why do we not see any lights? And the only thing I can think is they must have convinced themselves that when they see Mars, all they see is the daytime side of Mars. Yeah. So if you only see the daytime side, well, you're not going to see lights. <laughs> oh, Mars. But you would think that if it's an advanced civilization, it wouldn't be covered in red. Even at that distance, you would see... I mean, have you ever flown over a major, like, metropolitan area? Yes. You can tell people live there from <laughs> yes. a distance. You don't... I mean, you just look down and go, yeah, that doesn't look like normal Earth. I mean, so you would see something. So... <sighs> I don't know. They they should have figured it out a lot earlier, but it. But nonetheless, I, it did. Yes, when you photograph the Earth from Mars, you see that people live there. Yeah. You see kind of telescope. But I I can appreciate the fact that it did spawn so much great subculture. I, like I mean, where would you be without some of the Hollywood movies? Got to watch about aliens attacking Earth from Mars. I mean. <laughs> yeah, I I do love those movies. I mean, where would the Flintstones be without Gazoo? Uh, that's a good question. So we know that there are no um, no advanced aliens living on Mars. At the moment. But did they once do it? Well, here's the thing. Do we have proof that maybe an advanced civilization once lived on Mars? Well, probably not. Uh, there are some strange things discovered that might say, though, yes, we do. One of the first things people created here was monoliths, the monument. <laughs> this, mo this type of monument uh, was formed. For religious purposes, uh, these are large, tall structures that at one time was believed to be used basically to pray to. Uh, we still build them today, however, and the most famous one and best example I can come up of of what a, a monolith is, is the Washington Monument in Washington, D. Well, what if I told you that we found them on both Phobos and Mars? Because we have. The thing is, sometimes you can have completely natural causes for these things geologically. Yeah, we found a weird 85-meter-high boulder on Phobos. Yes. Described as building size. Yes. It is believed to be an ejected rock from Mars. And this is the best part of this. And, and folks, I should let you know that as Buzz Aldrin gets older, he gets weird. But <laughs> Buzz Aldrin on C-SPAN, th these are the people in the United States who basically are just like government TV. You know, they just, all they show you is like the Senate and the House of Representatives talking on the floor. And then they have the occasional guest on to talk about stuff. Well, he went on, Buzz Aldrin went on the C-SPAN to tell people that aliens put these monoliths there and there's no way that they was created by man. Or yeah, lately Buzz Aldrin has been very uh, engaged in Martian issues and he... He's one of the front people for one of these colonization efforts as well. Yeah, I mean, he believes specifically on Phobos that there was life. 
that there was, you know, people there, an advanced civilization that we might have came from there. Um, Mars has a little boulder. It's only about five meters wide. But, it, <laughs> I mean, it is a monolith. Like, you look at it. I mean, you can look both of these pictures up on any Internet connection, and you'll yeah. see the pictures. Like, they, they're clearly monoliths. They are straight up and down. Uh, I mean, the ejected rock thing, that kind of makes sense, you know. Olympus Mons shoots a bunch of stuff out into the sky. A big rock cools in space, lands, you know. But which volcano shoots out monoliths? Well, the thing is, as it's going through space, it cools. And shapes. And that jet might just land straight in there. (laughs) Straight straight up and down. You never know. It might have been a direct hit. Um, The one on Mars, I have no clue for, but it could just be a rectangular boulder. Yeah. I have to mention the, what Buzz Aldrin did very recently, actually, when we spoke about him. In August 2015, Buzz Aldrin, in association with the Florida Institute of Technology, presented a master plan for uh, Mars colonization to NASA. Uh, when astronauts with a tour of duty of 10 years could colonize Mars before the year 2040. Okay. Interesting. Now I'm... Now I'll shut up about colonization. Yeah, I mean, Buzz Buzz is an interesting individual. Follow him on Instagram if you really want to see where Buzz's mind is nowadays. Um, he's become a bit I of a... I want to believe like he does. Yeah, I mean, no, don't get me wrong. I mean, the man is still extremely intelligent. He still is a leading force as far as space goes. But he's dipped his toe into conspiracy theory end of the United States uh system and um yeah he could be a little different <laughs> oh uh also i mean let's be honest i would be absolutely remiss if i didn't bring up the face on mars we've oh. all seen this picture uh, it oh. is a face a picture tells a thousand words right this has to be proof that an advanced civilization lived there at one time only people would create a statue this large on the side of the planet looking out into space that's clearly a face Yep, here's your proof. Uh, funny thing, what light can do to shadows. What light and shadows can do to our perspective of things. Yeah, we just love to see faces. This thing is located in the Cydonia region. The original picture was taken by Viking 1 in 1976. It's a mile across, so that's a pretty big face to the surface of the planet. But uh, people have done stranger things than that. But in 1998, it was almost completely debunked by better photography, showing clearly that it wasn't a face. And in 2001, uh, it was ultimately proven that it's just a hill. Yeah, I mean, irrefutable evidence in 2001 that it was it's just a hill. But if you look at the original Viking 1 picture, it's undeniable. <laughs> You're like, yeah, that's a face. That- and if, if you Google, like, strange things found on Mars, you could find a lot of these pictures that people just want to find strange things on Mars. So they look at all these rover pictures and stuff, and they find rats, People like Nazgul's. <laughs> we have everything a, is on Mars. The funny thing, and about you know the face on Mars, and th- this is kind of a personal thing. This yeah. is one of the reasons I got into space. I can remember oh. like sitting in the second grade and somebody bringing me a book about outer space and showing me this face on Mars, and oh. it, it freaked me out. But at the same time, it interested me greatly. I was like, "Well, that's a face!" Like, and I mean, convinced of what I was seeing. And anyone who looks at the picture from the original Viking, you're going to be convinced as well. Yes. And, and it made me think about, you know, the aliens, you know, what's going on in outer space and what have you. And it, it's what drew me in more than probably anything is this stupid picture that was just shadows cre- 
creating havoc on my psyche. Yeah. I wanted to make some kind of joke about some aliens building a one mile big face and uh, like the project plan and what they did, but uh, we have done the Nazca lines, uh, Stonehenge, <laughs> and really weird things on the earth. So we stuck, people, people could do that. We stuck a human face on a lion with wings. Yeah, we did. Yeah, it wasn't a mile across. <laughs> it wasn't a mile across. They ran out of slaves. Um, <laughs> should have been a mile across. like mega swings. I mean, like, we've done some stranger things. It wouldn't shock me if... I mean, we have the Easter Islands where we just, you know, carved rocks just staring out in the sea. Yeah, it was just the pyramids in themselves. They're yeah. like, this is a lot of work, guys. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, Why? Because uh, some rich dude said that he wanted to sleep there. Oh, okay. <laughs> of course. <laughs> so, yeah, that's going to conclude our episode about Mars. I hope you guys really enjoyed it. Uh, if you found us on YouTube, Google Play or iTunes, uh, if you're on YouTube to start, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button, leave a comment. And if you're on iTunes or Google Play, do all the same crap, but give us that five-star review. I want that five-star review. Give it to us. Yeah, and again, you give us comments, we'll read them right here on the air. Uh, we appreciate getting iTunes reviews and Google Play reviews and even YouTube comments. Uh, if you wanted to send us a direct email, you can get us at aofcast at gmail.com. And if it's a good question, we'll integrate it into the show. So, you know, you can become a part of the production value of the show. Just saying, hey, I have this question, like... um you call them gas giants, but is is it all like a fluffy cloud, or is there something hard in the middle? And I'll be like, oh, great question, and I'll answer it. Sounds good. Yes, absolutely. Dan, if people wanted to get a hold of you, how would they do so? You can find me on Twitter at Dan Horning. You can find me on YouTube as Dan Horning with an umlaut over the O, and on Facebook. And I also do a couple of other podcasts, and I think the most relevant to the audience here is Fan of History, when I, together with Brennan Rankin, talk about ancient history. We even talk about ancient astronomy every once in a while. You got, like, what, two months before the... uh before Game of Thrones comes back, that'll be relevant to everybody. Yes, we'll do. Uh, I've done three seasons of Game of Thrones Chat, the podcast with Thomas Anderson, when we break down Game of Thrones episodes, uh, and we tend to make longer episodes of the podcast than the episodes themselves. So we go deep. He's going deep. So, again, you know, hit up that Facebook group, and you'll find me and Dan both there. You can also find me at uh, FOA Angelo on at Twitter.com, or, yeah, at, wait, Words. Confused. Oh, wait. At AOF Angelo on Twitter. You can also find me at Gonksuo on Twitter. That's G-A-N-K-S-U-O-U. Um, I'm not uh, politically correct there or even nice. So, <laughs> so you've been warned. Uh, you know, if you want to converse with us, though, the Facebook group, either any of our Twitter places, you can find us greatly. Uh, if you want to check out any of Dan's other shows, he has a bunch of them, so please check those out. I'm actually going to have one coming out probably at the end of the year here, but we'll talk about more of that later. Exciting. Yes, very exciting for me, I hope. I don't know. Anyway, to close this show out, uh, next week we're doing what, Dan? Or next episode, not next week. We're doing the asteroid belt. Before we get to Jupiter, there are some tiny rocks that we need to talk about between Mars and Jupiter. Tiny rocks. A couple of and them. Are... even a dwarf planet. Two of them? No, just one. I thought there was two uh, in there. Uh, we, we can have that argument next time. But Ceres, the dwarf planet in the asteroid belt, 
it was once the fifth planet of the solar system. For a very short period of time. <laughs> a very confused period of time, but it was the planet once. Yes, series. Uh, Let's go to the asteroid belts. It's just like in Star Wars, like rocks everywhere. and You have to dodge them and, yeah. Yeah, you don't want to land on the wrong one because you might land in the mouth of... <laughs> <laughs> Giant worms. Until we speak again, though, everyone, I encourage you to keep looking into science because every time you think you know everything, it's going to prove that you don't. And it's always interesting and always worth learning something. Have a good one. What'd you think? Did you enjoy it? Well, if you did, head on over to patreon.com forward slash astronomy and pledge to these guys. For each patron they receive, the more they will be incentivized to improve the show. So help them out so they can help you out and throw them a couple bucks an episode. They will really appreciate it. Thanks. 